Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we are joined by one of community's founding pastors, John Ferguson, as we continue our series, Tug of War. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us at the Yellow Box on Sundays at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. All right. Denial. Anger. Bargaining. Depression. Acceptance. Those, of course, are the five stages of waking up on Monday morning. (laughs) Are you with me? (laughs) All right, quick show of hands, though. Who can relate all too well uh, to this guy right here? Take a look at this. Anybody? I'm glad to see that Ted didn't raise his hand yet. (laughs) That would be a dangerous sign. Um, Yeah, or how about this? Do you ever walk into work, you know, on Monday? Maybe you walk into work on Monday, and the moment you sit down, and I don't know if you you know, work at a place that looks anything like this at all, but this kind of represents work for us at least over the next 20 minutes or so. And the moment you sit down, uh, maybe at a desk like this, you immediately start like that internal countdown toward what? (laughs) Right, the weekend, Friday, absolutely. I mean, for a lot of us, Mondays can be a real downer of the day, right? You know, I know some people say that every day is a gift. I don't know about you, but there's like a few Mondays that I'd like to get a gift receipt on. You know, maybe trade it in for something better. Uh, Maybe you've even pondered something like this question. Why is Monday so far from Friday and Friday so near to, yeah, right. Yeah, we can all relate to that, huh? I mean, why, why is it? Why is it so many of us dread going to work? I mean, the place we spend nearly half of our waking hours, right? And wouldn't you love it if it could be different? I mean, you know, imagine with me for a moment if sitting at this desk or standing in front of a a classroom or walking into a sales call, or maybe if you're a student, you know, going through the the doors of your school, what if it could feel more like an opportunity than an obligation? I mean, imagine if you actually, you know, looked forward to going to work. I mean, imagine what if you actually loved Mondays? And then I got to ask the question, I mean, is that even possible? Is it even possible that we could actually love Mondays? Well, we are continuing this series called Tug of War, and it's a series about the tensions that I think you know, many of us feel in the various aspects of our lives. And today we want to talk about this tension between work and worship, the tension between work and worship. Now, I, I think at first glance, that might not even seem like an obvious tension, but how many of us have felt sort of this disconnect, if you will, between our work life and our spiritual life? How many of you have actually kind of felt a disconnect between maybe what happens on, on Sundays, what you experience here versus, you know, the rest of your week? And then I have to ask, is that the way it's supposed to be? Is that the way it's supposed to be? Is Sunday really supposed to be detached from Monday through Friday, the rest of our lives, and specifically from our work, whatever it might be that you do those days, Monday through Friday. Well, in order to answer that question, I think we need to consider two other questions. And the first one is this, what is work? All right, what is work? And then what is worship? What is worship? So let's start by going way back, okay? Uh, Not back to the future, but actually back to the very beginning, all right? Genesis 1. And what we see in Genesis 1 is a beautiful scene unfolding there. Because everything, I mean, you know, time, galaxies, planets, oceans are coming into existence as a response to God's word. I mean, God's speaking creation into being. I mean, imagine what that was like. You know, God simply says the word and boom, it's here. 
That's the actual Hebrew word that God spoke, boom, and then creation occurred. That's not really true. All right, but then God creates humans, uh, man and woman in his image and likeness, and these new image bearers are placed into the construct of this newly formed, newly created planet Earth. And he steps back to admire the work that he's done, all right? God steps back to admire the work that he's done. And then he gives these humans a very important charge over all of creation. And the charge is sometimes called the cultural mandate. Maybe you've heard that term before. It's the invitation to to join the creator in the work of caring for creation. That's what God did when he created the earth. Invited us to join him in the work of caring for creation. Now, don't miss this important truth here, okay? That means that us joining God in the work of creating and developing was always part of God's plan. That's part of his dream. And so work is not a response to sin or a result of the curse. Let me say that again. Work is not a response to sin or a result of the curse. No, work was and is part of God's beautiful design, part of his intention from day one, from the very beginning. Simply put, that means really that whatever we do, all right, whatever we do is sacred. It's all sacred. When we build, when we create, when we develop, when we lead, when we serve, when we learn, when we teach, It's all sacred. And I think understanding that reality can change everything. Understanding that reality can change everything. I mean, for the Christ follower, you see, there aren't two buckets. Maybe you haven't ever said it this way, but I think we think this way. There aren't two buckets. You know, one filled with our our holy activities over here, right? And another with our ordinary activities over here. No, everything is sacred. Everything is a holy act of worship, right? Including our work. Now, I want you to notice something fascinating about what we read in Genesis, okay? Because humans are created on the sixth day, right? But then what happens on the seventh day? Yeah, both God and humans, what do they do? They, yeah, rest. If you say that word the right way, it almost kind of feels like rest, doesn't it? Rest. Say that with me. Yeah, you guys are going to fall asleep now. Stay awake, okay? Yeah, both God and these humans rest. I mean, they pause, They Sabbath, and they don't just stop working. I mean, they actively, intentionally enjoy the newly formed creation that's all around them. I mean, wow, think about that. You know, Adam and Eve, they begin their existence by resting. And see, they don't rest from their work. They actually work out of their rest. They rest first. See, Adam and Eve spend their first day resting in who they are and in whose they are by remembering who's ultimately in charge. Now, you see, when I rest in my identity and then work from that truth, when I rest in my identity first and then I work from that truth, I declare that it is not my role or my salary or my position that defines me or gives me worth. It's God. Think of it this way, okay? I like what this is here. It says, we don't work to earn our identity. We work to express it. Yeah, we don't work to earn our identity. We work to express it. When we get this, you see, our work then becomes an outpouring of our identity as a follower of Jesus. And this means that that we can work as worship without worshiping our work. Think about that. We can Work as worship without worshiping our work. Our jobs, our vocations, our activities are not ways we try to establish our worth, but a means by which we declare our worth. That's how we define work right there. So what about worship? 
What exactly is worship? Well, I think one of the most helpful passages that we can look to when it comes to understanding worship better is an encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. And John, a close friend of Jesus, describes this in his book, fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And it all starts as Jesus and his crew are traveling and they stop at this historic well. And the people traveling with Jesus, they, they, uh, they leave Jesus for a bit and, and Jesus is left all alone at this well. And then at about noon, a Samaritan woman, now the Samaritans and the Jewish people, they did not get along at all, okay? And so at noon, a Samaritan woman, someone, an upright Jewish man at that time would never associate with, she comes to this well. But Jesus does what he often does. He does the countercultural thing. He doesn't do what's expected. And he strikes up a conversation with this woman. And as they begin to converse, she, she, Jesus does ask her some very personal questions. And the woman quickly tries to change the subject. And she says, this. She says, well, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jewish people claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And if you, you, you kind of look at this a little bit deeper, see what happens here. Jesus is getting personal with her and she tries to deflect. We still do that today, don't we? You know, she brings up a, a religious question in that day. You know, it was well known that Jewish people at that time worshiped in Jerusalem at a place called Mount Zion, a sacred place for any Jewish person. And Samaritan people worshiped on a hill called Mount Gerizim. And so in an attempt to take the attention off of herself, she asks a theological question. Look how Jesus responds. He says, I tell you that neither is so. Believe this, he says, a new day is coming. In fact, it's already here when the importance will not be placed on the time and place of worship. The importance will no longer be on the time and place of worship, but on the truthful hearts of worshipers. Did you catch that? Let that sink in. Because what Jesus is saying here is that despite popular belief, All right, worship is not about a mountain. It's not about a place. It's not about a temple. It's not about a specific location. He wants her and us to see that worship isn't about a place, but about a person. Worship is not about a place, but about a person. And that person is right in front of her. It's Jesus. And then he goes on to say, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And what he's saying, don't let this go in one ear and out the other. What he's saying really is profound, folks, because if you're a Christ follower, you see, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and you are worshiping. And so Jesus is revealing a whole new phase in his economy, in God's economy, by declaring that, that God's spirit doesn't merely dwell in temples made by human hands, but that we are the temples, if you will. He dwells in us. Um, author John Piper explains it this way. Read this along with me. So as you can see what is happening in the New Testament, worship is being significantly deinstitutionalized, delocalized, deritualized. The whole thrust of being taken is being taken off of ceremony and seasons and places and forms and is being shifted to what is happening in the heart. Not just on Sunday, but every day and all the time and all of life. And this was revolutionary because for centuries, you know, people had to go to a specific place, a specific time with specific items to worship. But Jesus flips that all on its head. I mean, completes it, turns it upside down by declaring that all of life is an expression of worship. 
And I think it's that reality that allowed the apostle Paul to pin these words. And he said, in light of all I've shared with you about God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. A sacred offering that brings him pleasure. This is your reasonable, essential worship. And so what, what he's saying there is your bodies, your, everything you do with them, all right? Your whole life now, that is your worship. Worship isn't just the singing of songs. As much as we enjoy doing that here on weekends, and that's a good thing. Worship is not just about the singing of songs or even a specific day of the week. It's our entire lives. It's our approach to everything we do, including our nine to five Monday through Friday, All right, now think about that, okay? What are the ramifications of that? I mean, what would it look like if we began to see our work as an act of worship? What would it look like if we began to see our work as an act of worship? I mean, what if we saw our tasks, our roles and duties as more than a merely a means to an end, but an opportunity to worship the God who made us and set us free? I heard one guy say, what if your workstation became a worship station? <laughs> I mean, what if when it came to work and worship, it wasn't an either or, but actually a both and? You see, what we're seeing through this series is that when it comes to stuff like faith and doubt, work and worship, the most important word is and. And work is not meant to be separate from worship, and worship is not meant to be separate from work. We are to worship not just on Sundays, but Monday through Friday and even Saturday. Imagine that. We are to worship in our work. And so no matter what you do, whether it's cleaning hotel rooms or running a corporation, doing the hard work of a stay-at-home parent or sitting at a desk in an office, maybe something like this, or if you're a student or teacher walking through the halls of the school, your job is more than just a job. Your work is an act of worship. How about that? Your job is more than just a job. Your work is an act of worship. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to some Christ followers who a lot like us were trying to figure out what does it mean to really live for Jesus Monday through Friday? And he said, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous. Righteous doesn't mean better than everybody else. It means rightly related. Holy doesn't mean that you're you know, like better than everybody else. It means you're set apart. You're trying to follow Jesus. And so he's talking about putting on the new nature, our new nature as Christ followers in the same way we put on our clothes. All right, quick show of hands here, okay? Who here picks out your clothes for the next day, the night before? Okay, so there are a handful of people that are OCD like me. Okay, let's try this. How many of you wear clothes to work? Okay, now we're all on the same page, okay? Some of you did not raise your hand. That's concerning. I do, I pick up my clothes the night before and I lay them out so that they're ready. It makes the morning a little less stressful for me. I don't know why, but that's what I do. But imagine, okay, whether you lay them out the night before or you pick them out in the morning, imagine if we were as intentional about putting on the right thoughts and attitudes for work as we are about putting on the right clothes for work, the right shoe or shoes or shirts or whatever it is that you wear. See, I don't know about you, but I, I really, this is completely transformational, I believe. I never think the night before how I could prepare myself to put on a righteous, holy, and godly nature before I go into the work the next day. I'm not thinking about that. What if we did? What if tonight, you know, I mean, think about how that could change your approach to work. 
I mean, think how much more I would be in tune, you know, with God and what he wants for me in my work if Sunday night, all right, tonight, okay, here's the challenge. Tonight, I began to prepare myself to wear my Christ-like nature tomorrow morning. In another one of Paul's letters, he repeats this idea of clothing ourselves to be like Christ. And he says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, all right? And then he says, here's what you need to clothe yourself with. Here's what you need to take with you to the workplace, right? Here's how you can worship with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And this isn't something we do just once. We do this regularly, just like we change our clothes every day. See, when we choose to follow Jesus, yeah, his spirit, his, the Holy Spirit comes to life inside of us and that's a done deal, right? But we have to daily, if not hourly, even moment by moment, renew our thoughts and attitudes and we can renew our minds with the thoughts and attitudes God intended to us to have toward our work from the very beginning. We actually are in our work, whatever your work might be, together with God. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, well, it's easy for you to say that, preacher boy. You don't know my work environment. And I get that. And I'm sure it seems like all this should come very easy when you work in the hallowed halls of a church building or work along such saintly people as my brother, Dave Ferguson. <laughs> we are still brothers. You know what that means. And so there are plenty of days when some compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and even patience would be a welcome relief, even in my work environment. <laughs> But see, these words remind me that when I chose to follow Jesus, his spirit comes to life in me. And when I get up in the morning to do whatever I do or to go wherever I go, I'm not going alone. I'm not going alone. No, Jesus through his spirit comes right along with me, just like the clothes on my back go along with me too. And that not only changes how I approach my work, it changes how I do my work. My job is not just a job. My work is an act of worship. And, you know, it's always inspiring to meet people who understand this. Uh, several years ago, I was at a memorial service for the mother of one of our longtime friends here at Community. And it was uh, Miriam Henriksen's mom. You, some of you probably know Steve and Miriam. It was Miriam Henriksen's mom, Arlissa Faircloth. I love that name, Arlissa Faircloth. And she and her husband, Sam, were missionaries in Portugal. And, you know, at the memorial service, many nice words were said about this mother of seven girls which alone should have designated her for sainthood. Wouldn't you agree? But what was most interesting to me is what they said about her work, you know, her life's work, because she was on the mission field in Portugal, but Arlissa worked with cancer patients also while she was there. That was like her job Monday through Friday. And one of her favorite tasks, they said, was to make disposable bed pads. That's right, disposable bed pads. And from what I could gather, she would stack newspapers with sheets of plastic in between the newspapers and then sew them in cloths using an old Singer sewing machine. And she would just spend hours and hours doing this, and she loved it. It was her work. And, you know, at that memorial service, you know, they talked about how she loved her work. And, and I don't think it was just because she was a nice lady, even though she was definitely a kind woman. I think she figured out that her job was more than just a job. Her work was an act of worship. So how can we approach our work as an act of worship? I mean, what would this really look like? What are some ideas? What, let me give you just a practi few practical thoughts that I think could transform your work. And if you have a, a piece of paper and a pen, I would encourage you to take it out right now and, and just jot these down and consider putting some of these into play over the course of the next several days. Or if you have your smartphone, you want to take some notes on that, that's fine too. I'll assume you're not uh, making plans for lunch, that you're actually taking notes, okay? All right, 
First, as you get dressed in the morning, all right, try this out. As you get dressed in the morning, as you put out your clothes or as you put out your clothes the night before, if you do that, reflect on what it means to put on Christ. Let that enter your mind. Okay, what does it look like for me to put on Christ in the same way I'm gonna put on these clothes, you know? Ask God to remind you of that truth throughout the day that he is with you every bit as much as the clothes on your back are with you. I'm telling you, if you would just take this step right here and put it into play, I think it could be life-changing. Another idea, you know, as you enter whatever the context is that you consider your work, and again, if you're a student, Okay, this applies to you. Think about what it might look like as you enter into the, to the school building or if you're a teacher, ask God for opportunities to bless the people around you. Ask God to give you opportunities to bless the people around you. And I'm telling you, if you go through your day looking for those, anticipating those, they will be there. Or how about this? What, what if you let the Sabbath really prepare you for Monday? All right. I mean, instead of viewing Sunday as, you know, another day of rest after a long, hard week of work, what if you saw it today really as preparation for the week ahead? You know, you rest, yes, but you're really not just resting because of all the work you put in in the previous week. You're resting to kind of prepare you for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, what's to come. All right, one last idea. Uh, Try this out. What if you wrote a workplace mission statement? What if you wrote a mission statement for your workplace? You know, for example, if you work in customer service, it might be something like this. Um, as the customer service rep for a retail store, I will seek to display God's compassion and grace to all I serve. Make up one for your workplace. And as you do, just ask yourself, you know, what would it look like to carry out the mission of Jesus in my work? We talked about that a few weeks ago. That we could take the mission of Jesus to any area in which we work, write that statement to capture it. I'm telling you, do this, and it will transform how you work. See, your work is a gift from God. It's not as a result of the curse. It's not because of sin. And no matter what you do or where you do what you do, your work can be an act of worship. So, man, I mean, the next time you, you, know, you sit behind your desk, if you sit behind a desk or workstation, the next time you settle in with your laptop at a local cafe, or the next time you clock in for another shift, or the next time you walk through the doors of your school, remember that wherever you stand or sit, that place is holy ground because your job is not just a job. Your work is what? It is, help me out, an act of? That's right. It's an act of worship. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you that you, you are equally concerned about what occurs Monday through Friday and Saturday as you are on Sunday. And God, I would ask that you just help us to get a new vision, a renewed vision for our work and recognize that our job is more than just a job. It's our work is an act of worship and that Lord, our our lives aren't compartmentalized. Like there's the spiritual bucket and there's the everything else bucket over here, God, but no, you are Lord over everything, our work, our play, everything in between. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for being a God who can transform our work. We pray this in your son, Jesus name. Amen.